0: Live from the WILK studios in Pittston, Pennsylvania, welcome to Sharing Recovery, first-hand stories of addiction and recovery. Recovery is possible. Sharing Recovery is sponsored by Clearbrook Treatment Center, Archstone Recovery, and Attorney Dave Akins. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Crop.
1: And hello and welcome to today's Sharing Recovery. Uh, we're very happy that you decided to uh, spend some time with us this afternoon. I'm Suzanne Kelly and I am joined by co-host Jack Kropp who recently celebrated 19 years of sobriety. So this is uh, this is quite awesome to be sitting next to Jack. He's an, he's an incredible inspiration to us all here. Um, Sharing recovery is about help and it's about promise and it's about healing because we're here because we believe that recovery is possible and healing is possible. What we're not here to do though, and and this is just something that, that I've been getting some feedback over the last few weeks is questions when people ask, why are you celebrating addicts? Well, that's not what this is about. This is actually about celebrating recovery because you know, those who are in recovery and those who stay in recovery every single day, get up and say, I'm not going to use. And yes, it is possible and absolutely that is something to be encouraged and that's something to, to be celebrated. So I just wanted to kind of make that clear to anyone who um, would be wondering why we would, we would be celebrating addicts. It's not the addiction, but here's what we also believe. We also believe that people are more than their addiction. That said, we wanna to welcome today's guest, uh, Jeff Brown. Jeff is a 45 year old Carbondale native. Um, he is uh, cross addicted, alcohol and drugs, but he's been clean and sober for over 12 years. During this time, Jeff has sponsored approximately 300 people throughout Northeastern Pennsylvania. Um, and for the last eight years, he's been putting together 12-step workshops. What's really cool about Jeff, and we're gonna talk a lot about this today, is um, he's been writing for about seven years now and uh, published uh, the first of a series of inspirational books this past June called Inspiration with Explanation. Jeff, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: It's wonderful to have you here. Um, so, if we could just kind of back up a little bit, and if you could share with our listeners, where did it start with your your um, actual journey with addiction? Uh, was it something that was recreational? Was it you know pain related, accident related? Because we all have stories about what is you know what made us cross that line.
2: Well, in hindsight, and it was hindsight was definitely required to find the root of my. My addiction. I found that around the age of fourteen, uh, relationship problems, the fear of being alone, actually is where where this all started for me. Once uh, that fear set in, it seemed like things started coming undone. And throughout the process, the the twelve step process, I was able to to backtrack and find those root causes and understand and see clearly what that fear did to me, where it led me. The fear caused me to start lying to myself about things. The, the simplest way to put it, I guess is uh, a girlfriend had left me the fear of being alone set in. And because I didn't know how to fix it, it started manifesting into other defects of character. I started telling myself, Oh my goodness, what am I going to do without this girl? Mm -hmm. my one shot at happiness at 14 years old at 14 years old, you decided that
3: you had a problem for the rest of your life and then as you said as you backtrack you realize now that that was fear absolutely And, and when I first came to recovery I went to see a man who I had known outside recovery and he had been in recovery now for a period of time and I went to see him and I told him I said look Peter I quit drinking I said what do we do now and he looked at me and he said here's all you need to know there's only fear in love and he walked away from me and that was 19 years ago i haven't talked to him since and when he walked away i was upset because i went to him looking for some kind of advice i, I mean i wanted something profound what i didn't realize is he gave me something profound and he gave me something that took me years and years in, in recovery to understand and to work on that fear is the root of all of our problems. So at 14, you found this fear and what did you do, Jeff?
2: I didn't like the way it felt. So I had to find a way to get rid of that feeling, <laughs> that, that negative feeling, that negative emotion. And uh, drugs and alcohol, of course, did the trick. <laughs> so anytime I drank or drugged, that feeling of fear would lift, that, that uncomfortability that, that came anytime I thought about that would go away for a couple of hours mm. i'd wake up the next day all the fear would be back of yeah. course and that started but at when 18. you
3: were 14 you weren't thinking that you weren't thinking i'm going to wipe out the fear right you just at 14 you didn't like the way you felt exactly you had no idea what it was you were feeling because i started to drink at eight years old but i never felt uncomfortable i never felt fear i just started to drink because i was raised in an irish catholic family and I knew feeling the way I did after I would take sips of other people's drinks that I liked it but I didn't identify that I had a, an issue that I that I was feeling anything so we yeah we can see that in hindsight but go ahead jeff I keep interrupting
2: you because I oh, I'm no, that's not. Uh, that's perfectly all right but yeah it, it definitely was a hindsight thing if, you know, I'm of the belief that you know, basically as part of the first step if I knew what the problem was I would have a fighting chance of correcting it but I didn't at the time so all I could do was dream up ways of getting rid of that to the best of my ability. And, uh, it it led me down and, and again in hindsight I, I realize now that, that that fear caused some internal dishonesty. I was lying to myself about where happiness comes from mm-hmm. and the dishonesty ultimately turned into selfishness. It got to the point where I needed what I needed in order to feel okay about myself. It's an awkward time in life, obviously. I think everybody goes through that in those high school years like that. You don't know, you want to fit in, you want to belong. You yeah. want to be different, but not too different. And, and it it was it, it seemed like that's where I fit in. So, so from
3: 14 to like 33, but you started out using something to feel a little better. How bad did it get?
2: It, it went off the deep end probably as I left high school. I, I enlisted in the military right out of high school And uh, assuming that that was going to be the solution, that now everything's going to be different. This is a new beginning, a fresh start. And, and unfortunately it wasn't, (laughs) I, they, I enlisted in the military. They flew me to Scotland and I spent a couple of years there where the drinking age is only 17 and I was now 18. So now I could do this legally and but And again, in hindsight, I didn't realize it at the time, but you just flew me 3,000 miles away from everyone I knew and loved. Now yeah. the fear of being alone is be- so getting even fear bigger. It's it's just compounded. So more and more fear makes for more and more drinking.
1: <laughs> I want to back up a little bit if we could. So you're 14 years old and you started using alcohol and drugs?
2: At first, just alcohol. And it, for me, it was once the alcohol... Stopped working as well as it did in the beginning. You, know, you build up a little bit sure. of a tolerance. Then, yeah. you, then I started supplementing, and okay. I would smoke some marijuana and have a couple of drinks, and, right. you know, and it just again kind of spirals out of control and from there.
1: Both, it's pretty easy to get your hands on. Obviously, even back then, at, at fourteen years old, I mean, you yeah. could go anywhere and and you can find it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and it just led to eventually became whatever it took whatever it took to not feel this way.
3: All right, so you get to Scotland. What happens then, Jeff? How long were you
2: in the military? Three years uh, during the the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And uh, I was a high-functioning alcoholic. I was excelling and rapidly advancing in the military and and doing things that these people had never seen before. I, I was walking away with medals and awards. And... You know, very rarely was sober. I, I was working crazy swing shifts because of the, the job that I had in communications. And it got to the point, I was young enough that my body could endure this, but yeah. I was either drinking or working and would occasionally pass out. <laughs> so that sleep was basically became an alcohol induced coma for a couple of hours in between partying and working. And that was pretty much every day. I worked, I worked what was called a two-two-two and eighty. So my first day of work, I would work seven to three like a normal person. But The second day of work, I'd work seven to three, I, and then I would drink for eight hours and go back in at eleven o'clock that morning, that night until seven o'clock in the morning, get off in the morning and start drinking again. So. And and then I'd go back in at 11 o'clock that night till 7 in the morning, drink for 8 hours, go back in 3 to 11, then start drinking again. So it was was either work or drink, pretty much for two years. How much were
1: you drinking when you were drinking, and what were you drinking?
2: In the military, I had to be more cautious, obviously. The drugs, narcotics of any sort, they're very, very strict about. But when it comes to alcohol, they adhere to the laws of the land. So... Whatever the law of the country you're in is, is what we adhere to.
1: Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook
4: today at 570-260-2600. Are you or a family member in need of a lawyer? Has someone you know been charged with a crime, injured in an accident, or through poor medical care, going through a divorce or child custody dispute? You need a lawyer with experience and credentials who will aggressively protect your rights. You need attorney Dave Akins. I know when my family and I needed legal help, we turned to Dave. So should you. Call 570-714-4001.
5: Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community-type setting. For nearly 2 decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 855- 899 2292. Welcome
0: back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570 883 0098 or 1 800 437 0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack Krop. Yeah.
1: And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Uh, Today's guest is Jeff Brown. Jeff is a uh, Carbondale native, and he's talking about his journey from being an addict to recovery, to being an inspirational writer. He's come a long way. And Jeff, before the break, uh, so we're talking about you being in the service and you pretty much working and drinking and working and drinking, yet you considered yourself a high functioning um, alcoholic. So you really got the job done. When did it get to the point where you really started to spiral? Because no matter where you are, um, you know, when you're using, you can climb, 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 climb. But eventually you hit that peak and you kind of start to go backwards. So when, when did that happen for you and what were the circumstances?
2: that was probably as i left the military because leaving the military i was in the same frame of mind when i enlisted i thought okay i I joined the military they're going to give me this discipline that i need and life is going to change and it really didn't it didn't so as i was about to get out i started thinking the same thing okay now i'm going home and things are going to be different i'm a veteran people are going to respect me and I, i had all these grandiose ideas of what was going to happen when i came home and as I sat and drank on my couch, none of those wonderful, ironically, my you know, all the people in my town didn't line up at my door to pay their respects. No parade, <laughs> to, to, huh, Jeff? <laughs> no, there was no parade for me while I sat and drank. You know. uh, and that, I kind of looked at that like, uh, now things aren't gonna change. Okay. Uh, so, so that was really in my early 20s. Uh, you know, again, at, at 14, I had myself convinced that I was probably going to die alone. <laughs> <laughs> you oh. know? And and that was a tough belief at that age, obviously. But the, you know, the the military experience breathed some new life into me. But when that didn't make it better either, that's when I kind of gave up on everything.
1: Okay. So you kind of figure that if if you go back and you say you went to the military and you thought that was going to make it okay, just like you started using when you were 14 because that was going to make it okay. So there was something probably going on before you were 14 to make you feel or push you towards feeling that if you didn't have this one person in your life, you were not going to be okay, and everything was going to snowball, and you're going to be alone for the rest of your life.
2: Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's, I'm not sure how exactly I formed the idea of the the soulmate, the soulmate idea that, I've, that we've all got one shot at happiness, yeah. and if we miss it, that's it, you know? But but I definitely did believe that. So when that took place, yeah, I had written myself off, and any chance at any real happiness was gone at that point in time. So, and it, so as I came home, I didn't really know what to do. Uh, you know, it, it depressed, you know, it, massive social anxiety. It, at times, was hard to even go to the grocery store. For fear, again, in hindsight, I could see how that it was all fear. I would get in my car and be driving down the street to go to the grocery store and start thinking, what if I drop something, break something in the yeah, aisle? What wow, are people? What if my card gets declined at the cash register? What are people gonna think of me? And I would start running these scenarios through my head. So it kind of switched from the fear of being alone to the fear of what everybody else thinks of me. <laughs> and I'd get halfway to the store, start thinking these things and just go to, the convenience store instead and buy some potato chips and soda and run back home and hide in my house. You know, because I, w- I was so terrified that you wouldn't like me mm-hmm. that I wasn't even going to give you the chance to. Yeah, would did you live alone
1: when you came back from, from the service? Did you live alone?
2: Yeah, that I kind of insisted on because living with family, I couldn't live the way I wanted to live, which okay. was basically in a drunken stupor. Gotcha.
3: <laughs> At what point, Jeff, did the thought of getting help come around?
2: It, it took a few years. Uh, right around the age of 28 is when I began to realize that maybe this is not normal and how people are supposed to live. I'm still drink a beer in the woods like I Yeah, what I was else 15. were you doing at 28 <laughs>
3: besides beer? Were you using drugs at this point? Yes,
2: yeah, that the the more prevalent the fears became, the, the more tolerance you build up to alcohol, the less it, kills the pain. So, so yes, uh, LSD was something that I got heavily involved in be, because of the depression primarily. It, you know, you're usually, you're always laughing and smiling in a state of hallucination. And so I was using that to get out of the depression, which obviously is incredibly destructive. And uh, under the, the effects of, of LSD, the alcohol effects were taken away I I came to realize that I could drink and drink and drink to no end on LSD because it it counteracted the effects of alcohol. I can see how some of the earliest people in the realm of recovery would dabble with that as a cure to alcoholism because it literally counteracts the physical effects of it until you come down off it. Of course, then you feel like you got hit by a truck, but while under the influence of it, it, it takes all of that away.
3: Yeah, and one of one of the premier founders, one of the guys that started recovery, in my mind, tried LSD f- to have m- to expand his spiritual awakening. And so now, what you're saying makes sense. He was a true alcoholic, and he did that to help a- and see where his mind would go. And so, yeah. what happened,
2: Jeff? Where do we go from there now? Or? From from there, you're peeking through the curtains at this point, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm starting to begin that this, you know, it's not normal. There is something probably wrong here. Uh, I didn't have that realization strong enough to do anything about it just yet, though. So the, the unmanageability that we all hear spoken about so frequently still wasn't there. I wasn't in enough pain to take action, but I did start realizing, and I can remember telling people, you know, that I think I may have a problem here. And I would kind of say it jokingly and half-heartedly, but it was in my mind, it was serious. They'd laugh when I said it, but I wasn't laughing. Now, were you functioning at this point? Did you have a job? Did you have, were you paying your bills? Were you able to? Barely, I, I was hanging on by a thread. Uh, I did purchase a home. My grandfather had a rental property that he moved and retired and decided he was gonna sell. And the timing of me coming home from the military coincided with that. So I decided I was gonna purchase that home from family. So I didn't have a mortgage through a bank. I had the luxury of having a mortgage through my family who wouldn't foreclose if I couldn't pay the bills. So a little bit of enabling in that respect, Mm -hmm. I suppose, uh, that I I did at times take advantage of. I would work on and off here and there. Uh, I was always the best employee as long as I showed up. If I could get myself there, I was always good at what I did, no matter what it was. And I took great pride in it, whether it was military service or... You empty in scrap buckets at a plastic manufacturer. It didn't matter, I I would take pride in both. So I would would work well if I showed up. All right, so now at some point it all hits the fan.
3: Tell me about that, Jeff, when did it hit the fan?
2: When no one was going to take care of me anymore. Once enabling stopped and the laziness kind of became more prevalent and the jobs were fewer and further between, I was about to lose everything. And uh, had ended another relationship, which was a recurring theme. I had an overwhelming fear of being alone, coupled with an overwhelming fear of commitment. And I was mm. constantly at war with myself, uh, with those two conflicting fears. So I ended a long stand, long-term relationship where I was living with a girl and was about to lose the house. And that's, that's when it hit me as I was packing boxes about to move out. I collapsed on my bedroom floor in a fit of depression and you know, put a gun in my mouth and gave myself that change or die ultimatum that, that so many people are familiar with. I can distinctly remember sitting there saying, okay, that you either put your brains on the wall behind you or... Fix this. Continuing on this path is no longer an option. It's not on the table anymore. This something has got to give, and that's that level of despair is what finally drove me into the realm of recovery. So I pursued it and uh, went to a meeting out of despair because I wouldn't have done that before. I was I had too much pride and ego, which, again, in hindsight, I realize is really just fear that I, I couldn't ask for help. Asking for help in my mind made me look weak and stupid, and mm-hmm. so I couldn't So on ask. your
3: own, you just called somebody and
2: said, where do I find a meeting? And you went to a meeting? Yeah, I did have a friend that I knew was in recovery, a lifelong friend that I had fallen out of touch with, obviously, because he was trying to live right and I wasn't. So we we weren't very close friends, but I knew that he had, was involved in it. So I called him and asked him you know, what he would suggest. And that was that, was that. Yeah, he suggested a meeting immediately. And and so that's what I did.
1: And what was that like for you going to a meeting, um, especially when you thought, you know, never, you would never have to do anything like that, or that was something you wouldn't do. So you take that step. What was it like walking through the door?
2: Terrifying, no, nothing short of terrifying. I, I wouldn't even know how else to describe it. Uh, again, like I mentioned before, there was a lot of social anxiety already existing. Now I'm walking into the, the absolute unknown. I knew nothing about it. I didn't go to treatment. I hadn't been to a million meetings, Prior, uh, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about what to expect. So it so, was, yeah, terrifying, but not as terrifying as potentially losing my life.
3: <laughs> so you know, Jeff, I walked into a recovery program off the street. I didn't go to a treatment program. I, I didn't have that experience. I walked in to a meeting on a Friday afternoon at noon in West Pittston, and my first thought when I walked into that meeting was, "What am I doing here?" I'm not like these people. I'm not one of these people. And there were several people there that I knew, and they all basically said the same thing. It's nice that you got here because we've been waiting for you. But I didn't understand that. And, you know, there was a guy there at that first meeting. His name was Sammy Ag. And he said to me, just don't drink today and come back tomorrow. And I've repeated that every day of the week for the last 19 years, several times a day. But at that moment, I had no idea what that meant. And I had no idea what to feel other than I don't belong here with you people. And a few months into this, I said to a guy one day, I said, I, I don't want to go to meetings. I just don't belong there. And he said, keep coming back until you feel like you do belong and that took some time for me. So I understand what you're saying. You go into a meeting and why am I here? I'm, this isn't me. So you went into that first meeting and you've been clean since, Jeff?
2: Yes, yes, that that was, uh, I was one of the people that didn't have to experience chronic relapsing, very fortunately. But but yeah, and that, uh, you hit the nail on the head with that, especially with, you know, we kind of started at 14 here, but prior to that, yeah, I had a pretty solid life. I grew up in a pretty good home, you know, upper middle class. I didn't, we didn't have any major problems. I, I don't have a family history of alcoholism or addiction. There was no abuse. You know. I, felt like, I almost felt like as I sat in those meetings and listened to these horror stories and these tragedies that everybody had been through, I, I started feeling the same way. Like maybe I don't belong here. You know. uh, I don't, and it, it really registered in my head. What I said to myself is I don't have the same excuses that other people do to abuse drugs and alcohol. (laughs) So it made me feel even worse about myself that I didn't have a good reason to be destroying myself with drugs and alcohol. And and that again, in hindsight, is where I realized that fear is fear is fear, no matter what it caused you to do. Right,
3: fear fear is fear. And for some people, fear is relationships, some people fear is money, some people fear is how do others perceive me? But fear is fear, and how do I anesthetize fear? Well, in my case, it was alcohol, you know, and a lot of alcohol, but I didn't know that I truly didn't know that I was anesthetizing fear until I was eight years into recovery when and at six years into recovery, I went to prison for things I had done earlier because I stopped drinking in 1998, but I didn't change the way I was living. So in 2006, I go to prison. In 2008, I come home. And I came home from prison and a guy said to me, I need to talk to you about something. And and I went to see him and he said, he had to be $20. He said, why don't you go drink? Because you don't want to do recovery our way and you're not getting any better. And, And I was offended by that. I didn't go drink. Like you, I walked into a meeting I've never had a drink since, but I left that meeting with that guy that day, and I knew something had to change. That was a God moment for me. Something had to change, and that's when I surrendered, and that's when I started to realize that I hadn't done the things I needed to do to actually recover yet. We're going to take a break. Yeah, I We're going to
1: talk I, more about surrendering, uh, uh, being a necessary part of recovery. We'll be right back.
5: Archstone oh, Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small, personal, community type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855- Eight nine nine two two nine two.
1: Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today
4: at 570-260-2600. If you or someone you know needs a lawyer, what should you look for? Excellence, experience, integrity. Attorney Dave Akins has all of those qualities. Whether it's a criminal case, a personal injury matter, medical negligence, or a divorce, Dave will fight for you. I know from personal experience. Call 570-714-4001.
0: This is WYLK, powered by Sherwood Chevrolet Buick GMC. Online at SherwoodChevrolet.com. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery, straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack
1: Kropp. And welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Our guest today is Jeff Brown. Jeff, you've taken on us, uh, us on an incredible journey as far as starting your use at age 14 and why and the fear and Jack, um, it was so important what you said about the fear part, the fear and, and numbing your feelings. Um, it, and it could just be so deadly, so deadly in, in so many instances. But now you have been sober for over 12 years and you've decided to really uh, take a turn and give back in so many ways. And one of the ways um, that we talked about in the opening of the show is sponsoring almost 300 people. It's about writing. It's about putting uh, together uh, programs and, and doing public speaking. So. I'd like to talk about if you would share um, about your sponsoring, 300
3: people. Well, How did that happen? Well, wait a minute, let's clear. Jeff, you don't sponsor 300 at one time. Not it's at been, one time. Oh, no, no, well, we, no, our <laughs> listening audience might not understand that because if you're sponsoring 300 people at once, and you don't even have the time to <laughs> be here. Right.
2: Right. <laughs> no, no, one at a time. Yeah. At least one The people I sponsor come to my house once a week for two hours at a time, and we walk through their problems. Okay. So So you go to that first meeting, that first recovery meeting,
3: and you've stayed in this program since. But now recovery is your life. It wasn't when you walked in there, but now you live recovery. Yes. Let's talk about that, Jeff. Live in recovery.
2: Okay. After after that initial meeting, that was... That was really all it took. and The, the unfortunate part was that I, I didn't get the answers necessarily that I was looking for specifically. You know, and, and I can remember distinctly sitting in this meeting and everybody that shared, I can remember saying, they were saying, keep coming back. It works if you work it. That was the, the term that stood out to me most. So I pulled somebody aside afterward and I said, what is it? Can you? T- it works if you work it. Somebody needs to explain to me what it is. Mm-hmm. and And they couldn't. So when I left that meeting, I called that friend that I mentioned earlier that had led me there to begin with, and I asked him if he knew what it was, and he did. And he sat me down just the way I do others, and he took me through this this 12-step process. He didn't tell me what, he didn't give me advice and opinions. He gave me facts and figures and directions. And when I called him with a problem, he didn't, he didn't give me a humble opinion. He gave me a page number. And... Uh, I I'm eternally grateful for that type of sponsorship. And every time I left this gentleman's house, he was thanking me, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why he was thanking me. He was saving my life in my mind, and he's thanking me for it. And at and this is going to sound a little crazy, and this isn't for everybody. But at two weeks sober, he came, addressed me and asked me why I wasn't helping anybody. <laughs> two weeks sober. And I'm thinking, I don't even know what planet I'm on at this point in time. You're telling me I should be helping people. And he pointed out a few things that suggested that that is the way this is supposed to, to work. You know, The sooner, the better. Maybe you don't have all the knowledge to teach them this yet, but you that doesn't mean you can't help people.
3: Well, how much time did Bill and Bob have when they started helping people? <clears throat> a couple of hours, a couple of days? Exactly. I, I mean, so yeah, at helping others, is the key to this whole life yes you know dr bob wrote a prescription you know clean house trust god and help others and until we can come or until i can come to the point where i can live that on a daily basis then i can't recover hmm. so you started helping others jeff and where did that take yeah.
2: you yeah it didn't take long to realize that that Nothing felt better. There was no drink, no drug, no money. No, nothing could compare to the feeling that came from from sitting down with somebody and, and literally watching the lights come on in their eyes. Yeah. And, and having somebody's mother call you and thank you for saving their son's life even though it's not me and it has nothing to do with me who is it it, it in fact is god right. and the spiritual principles laid out in the 12-step process and so and that's that's where i believe the real anonymity of this program comes in it's about giving credit where it's supposed to go to the power greater than ourselves which is our it, higher power that is the solution to this so so the credit goes where it belongs. Everybody has to play their part. You know, Obviously, God lays these principles out. My sponsor had to be willing to take the time to to give to me, and I had to be willing to receive it. So everybody plays their part, and if we all play the role we're assigned, everything goes well. But it really didn't take long. The first person I sponsored at two weeks sober was sober longer than me, but hadn't been through the process yet. So we sat down and went through it. He's still sober to this day. And that's all it took. I I was on my way. I understood when I said to my sponsor, what can I ever do to repay you? He said, in this process, we don't repay. You pay it forward. You don't owe me anything. You have to go help the next poor guy that needs it. You don't owe me anything. And that it just seems so strange and unusual when you looked around at the rest of the world, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know this was such a unique way of looking at life in my mind at that point in time. But we, then we stop taking and start giving. Exactly, which yeah.
3: and that's the key to recovery is giving.
2: It, it really, really is, and and I one of my big hang ups in the realm of recovery is exactly that i have to understand that there's a difference between being responsible for my own life and actions and cleaning up my own mess and handling my own problems so responsibility is different than selfishness mm-hmm. at one point i was told this is a selfish program and it absolutely is not <laughs> We have to be our very lives as ex-problem drinkers depends upon our constant thought of others and how we may help meet their needs. <laughs> that doesn't sound selfish to me.
3: We need to clean house every day.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: And when we're cleaning house every day, when we're sharing what's going on with us with someone else, we're helping ourselves but that person is also being helped because then they're on the reverse of that, they're helping us. And it it becomes that cycle of, if we all help each other and it goes around in a circle, And the circle could be worldwide. We know that. And that's the ultimate goal. If everybody in the world could live a 12-step program, the world would be a prettier place. Mm -hmm. But we have to continually help others to stay sober, to stay clean, to stay happy, to anesthetize the fear. I must stop thinking about Jack, and I must think about everyone else I come in contact with, and how can I help them? Absolutely. So Um,
1: are you still sponsoring uh, individuals today? I mean, do you still have those weekly meetings at your home or or at some other location where you're talking one-on-one to someone?
2: Yes. Yeah. I I always, it was suggested that I spend much of my spare time doing that and everybody's spare time is different. And I look, I'm incredibly humbled by a story like Dr. Bob's. I've sponsored 300 people and that's fantastic in these 12 or 13 years. He was only alive in sobriety for 15 years. And it, his story says that he helped 5,000 alcoholic men and women to recovery, 15 years, 5,000 people. I've been doing a 12, I only helped 300.
1: <laughs> so when I did feel you feel like I haven't done enough. When did you take this further though and actually start to write and, and work on your book and, and your various types of outreach? Because you, you're a creative writer now. I mean, you have turned what you have, your experience and your God-given gifts to writing?
2: That's a great question. And that was uh, one of those um, seeming coincidences. Or, or you know, I actually dropped out of high school and got a GED before entering into the military. And one of the classes that I was exceptionally bad at was English lit. So becoming a writer was definitely not part of my plan. Uh, it actually came as the result of my 12 step knowledge people people forced me to basically i had enough people come to me and say you need to do this that i felt like i didn't have any choice they they wanted more knowledge they wanted they needed help it actually started as text messages i had 10 or 12 people that i would send a text message to on a daily basis trying to inspire them you know basically out of the big book and uh, and and you know taking a a sentence out of a book and then putting my own interpretation of it and it was helping those those people. And it was helping them enough that they started sending them to their friends and their friends and their friends. And until there were hundreds of people on this text list from all over the country. and uh, And again, that those masses again started coming back to me saying, "You need to write a book."
1: and not everybody that was reading the texts were necessarily addicts or alcoholics. I mean, no. So your your ripple effects started to reach individuals um, who could just benefit, like Jack said. If everybody would follow the twelve step, the world would be a much much better place.
2: Um, and absolutely, and you know, th- the literature suggests that I, you know, it, it's one of the things that that people frequently disagree with me about uh, the primary purpose. It doesn't say the only purpose, <laughs> it yeah. says primary, which means there must at least be a secondary. And they lay that out in, in some of the, the recoveries literature, how important it is that even if the alcoholic doesn't respond, you should offer his family this way of life. That lets me know exactly what my secondary purpose is, that mm-hmm. I should be helping anybody on earth with these steps that cares to have this stuff.
3: All right, Jeff, so what is the name of your book?
2: My book is called Inspiration with Explanation. And that title came with the help of my fiance, Jen. She actually came up with the title. And and the idea behind that was it didn't just sound inspirational. I like to add some practical application to the inspiration because anybody can say things that sound nice and fluffy. Mm -hmm. But if I can't do it, if I can't practice it, it isn't really going to help me or change my life. So, so my inspirational writing is, is based in that. It's, it, it, I, I'm hoping to inspire you to take action and, and, and actually take the corrective measures required to change your life.
1: Okay, we're going to talk more about the book. We have to take one more quick break. We'll be right back.
4: Attorney Dave Akins has been practicing law for 23 years. He has successfully represented thousands of clients in cases ranging from multi-million dollar personal injury and medical malpractice claims to criminal cases to divorces. When I've needed legal guidance, I called Dave Akins. So should you. 570-714-4001.
5: Archstone Recovery Center of the Palm Beaches provides addiction treatment centered within a small personal community type setting. For nearly two decades, Archstone has helped thousands suffering from alcohol and chemical. Dependencies recover and regain control of their lives. Archstone's medical, clinical, and support staff provide the highest level of professional treatment and individualized care. Call Archstone Recovery Center at 855 899 2292.
1: Since 1972, Clearbrook Treatment Center has been providing successful treatment for those suffering from substance abuse. Clearbrook's medical program provides round-the-clock care and treatment from a licensed and specialized medical team. Clearbrook's approach to addiction is largely based upon the proven practices of Alcoholics Anonymous. Pastoral services are available to patients seeking spiritual guidance. Call Clearbrook today at 570-260-2600. I
5: realize when the vote is
0: this close, it is not over. Democrat Doug Jones wins in Alabama. We have shown the country the way that we can be unified. Taking Republican Jeff Sessions' vacated Senate seats. Making sure everyone Everyone is going to get a fair shake in love. How does this affect the Senate? We don't want to have a liberal Democrat in Alabama. And what does it mean for the president's agenda? He would
5: rather have a person that supports his agenda. Talk
0: about ramifications. We are making good progress. On WILK News Radio. Welcome back to Sharing Recovery. Straight talk on today's struggles of addiction and triumphs of recovery. Recovery is possible. We welcome your calls with questions or comments. Call 570-883-0098 or 1-800-437-0098. Here are your hosts, Suzanne Kelly and Jack
1: Kropp and welcome back we are here with author local author jeff brown and jeff is sharing with us um his book his his book is inspiration with explanation and uh it is if i recall i started to read it it is a a a passage for every day yes so it's a 365 day book
2: yep yeah and uh I've been writing them for a a different one every single day for the past seven years. So I I guess I I technically have seven books written. (laughs) Only one has been published so far, but I would like to get to the point if it can gain some steam where I'm releasing one on an annual basis and and just keep pumping that stuff out and and giving people hope and uh, expressing some of the, the real powerful truisms of life, but in a, a very, very simple way. Can uh, you give
1: it, us some examples?
2: Well, <clears throat> you know, we've talked a lot about hindsight here today, and uh, in hindsight, I can see very clearly what the 12-step process dis- is designed to do. Uh, I have a tendency to overthink and overanalyze everything, which uh, I would imagine most people probably are guilty of that as well, but the, not me i need everything to be as simple as possible and that's I yeah mean, the,
3: i got it. it only has to be four words for me i don't need any more than that so
2: that's what i ended up ultimately looking forward to and and i found that simplicity what the the realization i've come to is that all of my fear all of my problems come from the fact that i'm selfish resentful dishonest and afraid and they're all fear right fear all is those all, all those emotions
3: are based in fear yeah that's why we go back to peter amato who told me there's only fear in love
2: exactly and the, the real simplicity of this, it, it, in the big book it says that selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. So we scramble around, there are 5 million different ways to fix this supposedly, but realistically if selfishness is my problem, there's only one solution, selflessness period. That's the only one. That is the simplicity we re- really need to look for out of life. We need to stop overthinking and overanalyzing and psychobabbling this thing to death. It is a very simple matter. When And it was the probably the first thing my sponsor told me when I sat down with him is, you're selfish. I, of course, was insulted and offended when, <laughs> and didn't believe him when he said it. But... It, 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 he proved it to me through my own actions. He would never argue any of these points with me. But uh, 2 weeks. we'll week- show you. Uh, right, two weeks after that, he told me that, and I told him he was wrong. I called him with a problem and rambled on. Didn't care what he had going on in life. And, and when, when the conversation was over, he said, "I'm doing okay today. Thanks for asking."
3: <laughs> and, and Jeff, that brings us right back to Doctor Bob's prescription. Yes. It's about other people. And every one of those things, selfishness, you know, insecurities, they're all pointed at me. All those emotions are about me. And when I'm thinking about me, I'm crazy. If I can think about you or Jen or Suzanne or Carly, I'm okay. So that's what your book is about, right? Helping people understand the world isn't about them.
2: Exactly. Exactly, and that's that. Uh, you know, the the self centered aspect of it was more confusing. Selfish, to me, was kind of obvious, like a you know like a little kid that won't share his toys. Mind, mind, mind type of selfishness. But the self centeredness, where I'm thinking about myself all the time because <laughs> I'm terrified, mm-hmm. you know, it is a, a much bigger problem because it's subtle and and you can overlook it. I didn't realize that when I was driving to the grocery store, terrified of what other people thought of me. That was selfishness. That was self-centered thinking. I was thinking about me, not what I could contribute to the people at the grocery store, what I was gonna get from them. And, and that destroyed my entire life. And I could see now very clearly that that is a major problem. Who doesn't have trouble remembering people's names?
3: Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and the amazing thing is, when you can get to the point in life where you don't care what others think, you are no longer Selfish, you're actually just free to give to others because I'm not worried about what you think of my shirt. I'm not worried if I drop something in the grocery store and I'm not worried if the most I can do today is hold the door for someone. I don't have to be Bill Gates and give away $90 billion. I can simply hold the door. I can say hello to someone who walks into a meeting new and they look scared or somebody who's in a meeting and looks like they're ready to cry. Maybe sometimes all I need to do is say hello But the other thing I need to do is I need to do it anonymously. I don't need to be rewarded for what I've done for someone else. Because if I need a pat on the back for being kind to someone, then I'm doing it for the wrong reason. I need to be able to be kind without any reward, without anybody ever saying, you're a great guy, Jack. And when you get to that point, you start to feel a freedom and that's what you try and help people. You try and help people get to that point, Jeff. You try and take people there.
2: Yes. Yeah. And and the willing are always led there. Anybody who is willing, like I, I had a book signing event last weekend. And as I was signing books at the end of it, all of the the talking around me in the room that I could hear were people gleefully celebrating the fact that I just told them they were selfish. <laughs> they, they were happy about it. That's how you know you're dealing with someone who really wants to know the truth is because when you give it to them, it makes them feel good about themselves, even when the truth is you're selfish. <laughs> they want to know the truth so they can fix it. Uh, and that's one of the hardest things I have uh, uh, that I have convincing people of is that other people can't control your feelings. You are in control of your feelings. If somebody insults me, there is no cosmic law that says I must feel hurt and offended. Right. You know, that, I choose that.
1: That's a very good point because um, a lot of times, and it's not only in addiction, but what you hear is, well, she made me feel that way, or he made me feel angry, or he made me do that. No. Ultimately, you know, you have your stimulus, your response, and in between there, you have a choice of how you're gonna feel, how you're gonna respond, how you're gonna act. And and you're absolutely, you nailed it. Um, we are responsible for our feelings, whatever, whatever those feelings are. And I don't necessarily think um, there are bad feelings. The feelings are the feelings and you just have to get past those feelings. But those who try to deny their feelings or to push their feelings down, I think that's when you start to really get in trouble because I just think that you can only stuff so much down for so long before it really starts to bubble up yep. and uh, then it p- comes back
3: angry. Before we started today's show, uh, we were sitting here chatting and Jeff told me something that I didn't know. and. We're down to the last few minutes, but I want to hear about this on the air, Jeff. You told us you're writing a board game for recovery. (laughs) You got to tell our audience about this because I just, I loved it. So tell us about this, Jeff.
2: It it was a great opportunity that I was given to contribute to something that was honestly and genuinely designed and the the wheel set in motion to help people, to, you know, Fortify the the truth and and really help everybody that that comes in contact with it. It was truly designed for that, and we love we we kind of contrast it. I was working in Luzerne County, and we were reading an NBC. Nightly news article about how that was deemed the unhappiest place in America oh, yes. because of the the drug problem. there.
3: County is the ha- unhappiest place in America.
2: Yes, and so it, we sat there in the eye of that storm and started putting together the, this game to, in hopes of, of correcting some of that problem. We want to get recovery out there in a fun way, an enjoyable way. Like because you know, some of the things I was being told to do in early recovery didn't sound exciting. Go to a meeting, read this book. None of that sounded like fun to me, you know, mm-hmm. and and that literature does say we absolutely insist on enjoying life. If newcomers could see no fun or joy in what we're doing, they wouldn't want it. So we want to bring fun to recovery, too. Now,
3: in general terms, without revealing any secrets, Jeff, is it like monopoly? Is it like... Uh- is it dice i mean
2: we we've combined a number of games it's got some you know some trivia it does have dice it has cards it has strategy there there's a lot involved in it there and it's something you can really have fun learning thing (laughs) education usually isn't all that fun but this is and the 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 test marketing that we've done, which to this point has been pretty extensive, people are, it, it's been going really well. People are loving it.
3: So if it's like Monopoly, then there's rehab boxes and there's go to jail boxes and then <laughs> there's detox boxes yeah, and-
2: Slip, rehab, detox, yeah, yeah, all right? yeah. It's like more jail boxes than normal, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple extra ones,
3: yeah. Most of the people I know that have, well, not most of them, but a lot of people we know have spent some time behind bars
2: when you get to recovery. <laughs> you know what (laughs) we get over that too don't we we do we do there is no when will that game be available Jeff I can't give you a definite date yet but but sometime and you know probably within the next 6 months or so or early in 2018 2018 we're sometime
3: for. we'll yeah. see that on the shelves of Toys R Us is there still no. Toys <laughs> R Us when <laughs> well, well, your are kids us, are old you don't go to Toys R Us anymore is this
1: something so. that's going to be available locally is it something do you see you'll be marketing it and doing distribution online yeah I mean, we're going to be on Amazon it
2: so there? it goes worldwide we we want to start grassroots okay yeah then and, and really hit it hard locally first and foremost but obviously we're hoping that it becomes much, much bigger than that.
1: Awesome. What about, what about your pages? What about your Facebook page and your website? I mean, could you share with our audience, um, with our listeners, um, how could they get in touch with you? Where can they learn more about you? And we're going to post that on the Sharing Recovery's Facebook page, but while they're listening right now.
2: Okay, Uh, Inspiration with Explanation does have a a Facebook page with with that name. Uh, I also have a blog with that name. you, you can always email at jsbrown625 at gmail. Uh, so, yeah, there's. Where can we buy the book, Jeff? The book you can buy on my website, jeffreysbrown.com. It's, it's available on there, and there is some of my writing on there, too, a couple of years of backlog stuff if you really want to go back to.
1: And what if someone really wants to reach out to you for the possibility that you may be a sponsor? Uh, to them, is that
2: even a possibility? Yes, absolutely. Uh, any of those methods would would work for me. You could email me. You could go you could PM me through the Facebook page. Uh, my home group is in Archbold on Friday nights at seven thirty. If you want to come see see there, that's uh, any way you can find me. Find me. You'll find me.
1: <laughs> so did you think going back, not to you 14, but 24, uh, 34, 44, did you think you would ever be where you are right now in a great solid relationship and not alone and happy and your world has just opened up and you're also helping countless people out there?
2: No, I honest, <laughs> honestly did not see any of these things. Coming. So the
1: promises come
2: true. yeah, And then some, absolutely.
3: Yeah. We won't be here next week. It's Christmas Eve, and the following week will be meet Jack So
1: It's going to be incredible. Thank you so much for listening. If you're celebrating the holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, we'll be talking to you real soon. Have a great week.